you marry for self-centered reasons. This person will make me happy. And over and over, as I interact with people in counseling or just talking with them, they talk about marriage being a 50-50 proposition. If you go into marriage with that idea of, of it being 50-50, there will be a divorce pretty soon. Because sometimes marriage is 90-10. Sometimes it's 60-40. Sometimes it's 70-30. Marriage causes us to see who we are. We have to confront our selfishness. I'll never forget, as a single man at, at age 30, I, I married my wife, Chris, and I thought, I was a pretty nice guy, I thought that I was not selfish. And I began to see just how selfish a person I was. Marriage has a way of showing us that. During premarital counseling, I'll often ask couples, what kind of vehicle do you drive? Let me say Toyota, Chevrolet, GMC, whatever. And I, I say, does your vehicle come with uh, a manual? Like, yeah. And we talk about maintaining that vehicle. We talk about even basic things like your air pressure and your tires. We talk about the fact that the oil needs to be changed. And I, and I tell them, you know, we can drive our cars and never change the oil. But that affects the efficiency of the car. And of course, eventually, if you don't put oil in, you're going to have an engine that is burned up. And so I, I talk with them about the fact that this manual, that the, the creators, these manufacturers, they put together this car. They know what this car needs. And I tell them the same way we, as human beings, were created by God. And he's given us a manual to live by. And in this manual, there are things for our various relationships, and marriage is one of them. And I remind them that we can neither do what the manufacturer, the creator, has given us to do, and maintain good relationships, or we can do like someone who might drive their car without putting oil in it, or without changing the oil, or not putting in air, then we can go rough out for a while. As we look at our lives, sometimes I don't think we, we, we realize that. But when we think about the fact that 40%, 40% of Americans believe marriage is obsolete, we know that's not true because marriage is God's idea. And God's idea is always good. God is all wise. We see marriage first mentioned in Genesis 2 account of, of creation. When the Lord says, it is not good that man live alone. Now I'm making my helper. And he talks about how that he created Eve from the rib of a man, of, of Adam. And later, in the New Testament, Ephesians chapter 5 that we looked at earlier, again, we're going to park here in Ephesians chapter 5, so read up your Bibles up to Ephesians 5. We'll be looking at verses 22 through uh, 32 today. I have to admit 
that as, as we look at this whole thing of, of husband and wives and submission and headship, it's hard sometimes because what does the world do? The world says the Bible is obsolete also. They say the Bible says that, but that's, that's old. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Our culture, I think, pushes against this idea of, of uh, a husband being the head and a wife submitting for probably for a couple of reasons. Um, submit has become kind of a provocative term today. It's almost uh, inflammatory. Uh, it's provoking. For a lot of people, to, for a wife to submit is offensive. And sometimes when submitting is, uh, is defined or used, instead of using submit, it, they'll use words, uh, synonym maybe, like they'll use the word uh, subjection, uh, negative terms, emotional terms. I think the second reason that people in, the, in our culture push away from, from submission is that the truths of God's word, the truths of God's word have been perverted and abused by men. Many problems come either from an ignorance of what God's word says or an arrogant disregard for what God's word says. Today, as we look at the roles, the, the duties of the husband and the wife, I've narrowed down and I've, I've taken two words, one for each. Husbands love and wives submit. Make it really easy here for us to, to kind of encapsulate everything here. In Ephesians 5.22 says, Wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. I want to remind us that in the passage just prior to this, there's a passage, it, it talks about the fact that we're to be filled with the Spirit. And that we're to submit to each other. And sometimes people say, well, well you know, verse 21 says submit one to another. So that means that they both submit to each other. In a sense, that's true. Paul goes on and he, he looks at three different areas. He looks at husband and wives. He looks at parents and children. And he looks at, back then, at slaves um, and, and, and their masters. And he says that they're to submit, but in no sense, when he says submit to one another, did he mean that parents were to be told what to do by the children. Or that masters were to listen to their slaves. So I just want to get that, clarify that force. As I mentioned earlier then, the duty of the wife is to submit. The wife is to assume the subordinate role in marriage. Why, why this, this emphasis on submission? I think there are two, two things. One is creation, and one is redemption. And we see, we see first, 
creation, it, it concerns the headship of man and says, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife. Headship is, is stated as a fact and has made the ground for a wife's submission. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 3 through 8, goes back to Genesis chapter 2. In creation, it points out that woman was made after man, out of man, and for man. Again, woman was made after man, out of man, and for man. Paul also adds in here that since creation, the man has been born from woman. And therefore, there's that dependence on each other. But again, his emphasis here is the order of creation, the manner of creation, and, and the purpose of creation. Let me read that passage for you. This is 1 Corinthians 11, verses 3 through 8. Paul says, I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband. And the head of Christ is God. For a man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God. But a woman is the glory of man. For man was not made from woman, but a woman from man. And neither was man created for a woman, but woman for man. So you see, first then, this submission comes from creation in the order that that God created woman for man. Secondly, as I mentioned earlier, is redemption. Verse 23 says, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, himself his Savior. In order to understand the nature of a husband's headship, we need to understand and look at Jesus Christ. Paul talks about headship and submission. And he grounds headship in creation, but he defines headship in redemption. It is from Christ being the head that the body of Christ is nourished. We're nourished through Christ. He is the head of the body of Christ. Christ's headship is caring. It's never controlling. Christ's headship is responsible, not rude. I can't begin to tell you over the last 28 years as I've interacted with couples. Sometimes men come in and there's this control that they think because they're their husband or the, the head of the house that they can control. But headship, when we look at Jesus Christ, headship is not about control, it's about care. Headship is not about ruling, headship is about responsibility. If the husband's headship of the wife is like Christ's headship of the body, the wife's submission should be like the church's to Christ. As the church, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives submit in everything to their husbands. 
There's nothing demeaning, is it, about us as we live our daily lives? Do we think that as we submit to Christ, there's demeaning? We don't, do we? We don't ever consider submitting to God and to Christ as being demeaning. And yet, God's word is very clear that a husband's headship is just like Christ in his headship over the body of Christ. Christ is our Savior, is a perfect provider. Christ, our Savior, is a perfect protector and a perfect head. Granted, men are sinful and we're not going to be perfect. But as we look to emulate the headship of Christ, our lives should be different. But you know that when Paul was writing this, he wasn't writing to to men who agreed with what he was writing. It's been said that no one, with the exception of children, owes more to Christ than women. No one owes more to Christ um, than, than, than women because of the cleansing effect that Christianity had on the culture. William Barclay, uh, a commentator, writer, theologian, writes that Jews had a very low opinion of, of women. And he, he quotes um, this Jewish form of a morning prayer, the sentence that says something along the lines of, uh, in the morning, uh, a, man would, a Jewish man would give thanks to God that God had not made him to be a Gentile or a slave or a woman. So that was your Jewish culture. A woman had no rights. It's worse among Greeks. In Greece, a married woman had no part in her husband's life. She was not even a true companion to her husband. She was to run the home and take care of the kids. A Greek husband was expected to get his companionship elsewhere. In Rome, in Paul's day, it was even worse. I believe it was John Stott who said that Rome was the sewer of the ancient world. Rome was the sewer of the ancient world. And according to Seneca, or writer at that time, says that women were married to be divorced and divorced to be married. And Jerome tells of one woman who was married to her 23rd husband, 23rd husband, and she was his 21st wife. Sexual perversion was rampant, and the ancient pagan man just breathed adultery. So this is a stage, if you can kind of picture yourself, this was what Paul was writing. We think about our culture today and how it affects our marriages. This is what Paul was, was, was facing. This is what he had to deal with as he reached out to people. Paul wasn't calling them to a new morality. He was calling them back to Genesis 2. Back to the Old Testament. Again, marriage is not obsolete. Marriage is a good idea because God says so. The relationship today of a husband to his wife illustrates the relationship of Jesus to those he one day redeemed. The relationship of the wife to the husband illustrates 
the relationship of the church to Jesus Christ. Well, if the word submit characterizes the wife's duty, as I said earlier, the word that characterizes the husband's duty is love. And Paul had, man, I'm sorry to say this, but Paul had a lot more to say to husbands than he did to wives. He sets very high standards for, for husbands. In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 through 27, we read, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. Husbands, we're to love our wives. And when Paul said, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, those were radical words. Those were radical words. In this passage, I think we can see four kinds of love. We as husbands are to love our wives. In the first one, we do love our wives sacrificially. Verse 25, of course, says to love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up. Most of us husbands probably would never have a chance to die for our wives, but we can die to ourselves daily as we seek to serve our wives. There's one wife who told her husband, Dear, I know that you're willing to die for me. you told me that many times. But while you're willing to die, could you help me a little bit with washing some clothes? We to love sacrificially. We do that by dying to ourselves. Secondly, just as Christ cares for the church, we should care for our wives. We need to be there for our wives. We come home and we're tired. Sometimes I come home and I'm exhausted and and I just really would rather sit at the computer and catch up on the news. And Chris comes in having left at 7 a.m. and gets in around 10 to 6. And she would just as soon to sit down and lie down on the couch and take a nap. But she has to cook. And therefore, I... And our sons should help her. We need to be there for our wives. And there it may be very practical ways of doing things, doing chores around the house, like the lady said, washing clothes, mopping the floors. Um, I think of the five love languages. How many of you remember the five love languages? You might have read the book. There are five languages that we can express our love to, to anyone, not just to our spouse. Um, words of encouragement. There are some of us who just need to hear words of encouragement. Others of us, we like gifts. It's not going to be an expensive gift. It's just some little something that says, I love you and I'm thinking about you. Sometimes people just love time. We're all busy. And for someone to say, I'll be with you, I'm going to spend time with you, that says something. That says love. 
Others, like physical touch. Others, acts of service. You know, men, sometimes the wife just needs that leaking drain pipe. She needs it fixed. That's what she needs. I'm sure that when any of us go to another home and we have a meal, we're going to say, thanks, that was a good meal. I enjoyed that. Isn't it easy for us to take advantage of each other? Isn't it easy to forget to say, thanks, thanks for cooking. That was good. And know that some husbands cook and some wives cook, but the point is acknowledging that and appreciating that. I know sometimes um, Chris or, or the guys will say, thanks, Dad. Thanks for whatever. It means a lot, doesn't it? When, when we hear that, I like to hear, I appreciate that, Dad. Well, I appreciate that, Ralph. I know you worked hard at that. Our wives need that. Well, we should be faithful to our wives. Christ was faithful and is faithful to us. There's integrity and we need to be faithful to our wives. Integrity is that security of, 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 of love. It preserves marriage. It preserves the family. I think sometimes when couples, whether they're young couples or older couples, that D word comes out, divorce. In the midst of arguing, in the midst of heated discussion, there's nothing that destroys that security and trust like discussing divorce. Just throwing it out. Well, husbands, we're forced to love our wives sacrificially. A second type of love is sanctifying love, which we looked at earlier, that, we're to, that, that Christ gave himself up for us, that he might sanctify us, having cleansed us by the washing of the water, so he might present us to himself in splendor. Christ is the one who saves us. Christ is the one who cleanses us. Christ is the one who makes us holy. But husbands, we are the instruments that God uses. And the question for us, is our, is, our, is our wife more Christ-like because she's married to us? Or is she more Christ-like or is she Christ-like in spite of being married to us? In spite of being married to us. We as husbands are to love our wives in a way that they grow spiritually. God holds us as husbands responsible. And just as Christ will present the church one day in splendor, in majesty, he calls on us not to crush our wives, not to stifle our wives, not to frustrate our wives. Over the last 20 years as I've counseled with people, Sometimes people come in and, 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 and sometimes husbands having a wrong idea of what headship means. They're so controlling. There's that, that stifling of who the, the wife is. And that's not what love is. We're to be there and encourage them in their growth spiritually. We're to pray for our wives. 
First Peter 3, 7 says that the husbands are to live in such a way as understanding, showing honor, that your prayers may not be hindered. Well, we've looked at sacrificial love, sanctifying love. A third type of love is caring love. It's found in verses 28 through 30. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his, his own flesh, but nourishes it, just as Christ does the, the church, because we're members of his body. The golden rule. Did anybody all, all quote it? You should you know, love your neighbor as yourself, do unto uh, others you'd have them do unto you. You know, we pamper ourselves, don't we? We pamper our flesh. We uh, nourish our bodies, sometimes too much. We protect our bodies. We spend time, and it's good, in one sense that we should maintain good strength. We should exercise. But as that exaggeration, God says that just as Christ cared for the church and cares for the church, cherishes the church, that we too should cherish our wives and care for her. I think I mentioned to you before that, that my wife Chris's father was not a father-in-law to me. He was like a second dad. I loved Mr. Lawrence. He was a gentle man. Very gentle. He loved the Lord. But I never forget, almost 28 years ago, when we had our wedding, we packing the last few little gifts we had in our little Toyota cell, and Papa came over. He put his arm on my shoulder. And he said, Ralph, if you ever decide that you can't take care of Chris, you just bring her back home. Because we'll take care of her. He was firm. I never saw it again. You see, Mr. Lawrence meant business. As his daughter I was marrying. If you can't take care of her, just bring her home. Again, Mr. Lawrence is a gentle man, a loving man. It's his daughter. Our wives, men, of God's daughters. If Mr. Lawrence meant business, what kind of business does God mean? We need to cherish our wives, love them, care for them. Well, we've looked at sacrificial love, sanctifying love, caring love. A final way I see that we're to to love our wives is in verse 31. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh.
That fourth kind of love is unbreakable love. Unbreakable love. I truly believe that one of the key things for young couples to make their marriage work is they need to move away from their mom and dad. I think the best thing in the world for Chris and I, we moved a thousand miles away from, from Louisiana and 750 miles away from my home area. And not that, not that my, my parents or Chris's parents would have been controlling, but there, there's this thing that, that God's word says, leave and cleave, leave and cleave, leave and cleave. I can't begin to tell you over the years in counseling for the problems, and too often, the mother-in-law, and it's usually the husband's mother, because you've taken her little boy away. That's the problem. We have to leave and cleave, man. Leave and cleave. Again, I'm not saying we don't love our parents. I love my parents as long as they lived. I love Chris's mother. You should love your parents. And you should care for your parents. You should take care of your parents. Don't get me wrong. But when you marry, you leave and you cleave. Okay? Leave and cleave. No longer is mom and dad the authority figure. No longer they tell you what you should do. Now, we can ask them for their advice. Work it out between you. God hates divorce. Malachi 2.16 says, The man who hates and divorces his wife does violence to the one he should protect. Of course, God hates divorce because it destroys what he says is unbreakable. He hates divorce, but he tolerates it because of our sin. And yes, if you've been divorced, don't you know that there's forgiveness? There's forgiveness. But just as Christ Christ doesn't separate from us when we sin against him. We don't have to separate from our spouse when there's sin. But there will be sin. There will be hurt. And just as Christ has forgiven us, we forgive. We forgive. And if we are honest, marriage forces us to face who we are. I mentioned earlier my selfishness. God uses marriage to show us our flaws. He uses marriage to show us our selfishness, our, our wrong attitudes. He says, because we've been shown mercy, we're to show mercy. Micah 6, 8 says, He has told you, O man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. We will all be sinned against. 
we'll all be hurt. And we can give in to the hurt and allow resentment and bitterness to come along. Or we can choose to forgive. And secondly, we need to remember that we're living in this world now, but there's another world coming. There's eternity. We remember three or four weeks ago, I came up here with a white rope was probably about 50 feet long and had about four inches that were, was painted white, uh, red rather, painted red. And that red was our life here on, on earth. We too often live for right now, those four inches versus the 50 and beyond. Remember that God wants to work in our lives in the midst of the struggles. Finally, Paul summarizes this whole passage in verses in verse 33. He says, However, let each of you, each one of you, talking about husbands, love his wife as himself, and let his wife see to it that she respects her husband. Interesting, he began with two words, submit and love. He ends with two words, but they're a little different. Respect and love. John Stott says that this verb used here expresses the emotion of fear in all its modifications, in all its degrees, from simply respect to reverence to adoration. We, we must not let uh, any intermarriage with the idea that it would be for comfort or for pleasure. Although there is comfort and pleasure in marriage. That's not the purpose. We can't expect someone else to fulfill our dreams. We must embrace the reality of our flaws. And our flaws will be exposed. If we hide our own sin, it doesn't look too bad, does it? Until it's exposed. And then when our sin is exposed, we see how bad it looks. God wants to use our struggles in marriage to build us up in our faith. He wants us to grow in our relationship. Well, let's pray. Our gracious Father, well, I still think back to yesterday and just a wonderful celebration of marriage with Mo and with Aaron. Father, the